know, I, when I was maybe around 20 years old, I made the decision that my purpose on earth is to help young men and women become men and women. Welcome to the Small Steps Big Wins podcast, where I seek to add value to your day through meaningful conversations with my guests. Today, I have Thomas Fanner with me. Thomas is the founder of Dads Who Lead, and his mission is to equip dads to become trusted and revered leaders in their homes. Thomas lives in Redmond, Oregon with his lovely wife, Megan, and their three kids. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Sue. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, sure. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, your background. Go for it. Oh, a little bit about myself. I'm a combat sports athlete. I, I compete in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I was a teacher for seven years. I recently quit my W-2 as a teacher to, to drop into this program to help dads become trusted and revered leaders within their homes. I love the adventures. I love like taking things on and improving myself. So that's always my, like my small wins that I'm looking for is how can I be a little bit better than yesterday? How can I be more focused? How can I be more efficient? It's always just like, how can I look within myself to make the best person that I can within myself so that I can serve the world in the best way possible. Now it begs the question, you left your W2, you were a teacher. So talk a little bit about that. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, I was actually, I was just reflecting on this yesterday and there's a lot around this time of year is probably mm -hmm. going to be consistently the hardest thing to be like, you know, in, in the fall and the winter, it's great to, to not be in the schools, but I was taught PE. And one of the things I loved about teaching PE was right around the springtime. If it was dumping rain, I could stay inside. If I was nice outside, I'd spend 80% of my school day, my work day outside helping ki kids play games and soccer or football, whatever it might be. So it was really fun. But I got to the point where I knew that I could show up any day of the week, roll out dodgeballs, basketballs, start a unit, teach it, make an impact at a certain level, and that my skill set and the potential for my skill set was much greater. So knowing that I needed to make the decision to move on to something that was the next evolution that's going to push me to be make a, a bigger impact, be a better version of myself. And there's somebody coming up behind me that's going to be able to jump into the role that I was in and, and do it really well. So was that scary though, to leave your job? I mean, to capture like around that time, what was going on? Were you ready to leave? Did you prepare? No. Did you just one day decide I'm not going to go back to teaching? I knew, actually, I went to a quitters workshop in May. And at that quitters workshop, that was with Tim Road. Actually, Tim wasn't there, but Pat Hyben was there. Ian Lobos, Aaron Velke, some other guys from the GoBundance community were there. And during that time, I really reflected on the vision that I wanted to create with my program. And it wasn't yet Dad's Who Lead. At the time, it was a father-son retreat program. And so that's when I kind of made the decision that, that to be the next version of me, I had to cut off something else. But as it came down, I, I was in a custody battle for my son who had moved out to Redmond in the middle of the school year of his eighth grade school year. Now he's in his ninth grade year. And it was decided that if within that, which was right at the end of August, if we moved to Redmond, I would have him half time. And I knew that I needed to make that move that my son needed me in high school and that if I wasn't involved, that he, there's a strong, very strong possibility that he would be dropped out of high school by Christmas. And so for me, there were a lot of things that were moving me away from Eugene and towards somewhere else other than just the job. But then it was, do I go and substitute teach for $25 an hour? Or do I coach and find people that I can coach and elevate, which is a, a much higher, more difficult to find clients than to find a mm -hmm. teaching job. But it was just like, okay, to get my family to where I want to be. Now, I did not have a high income goal, especially after I left my teaching job. I was at in the, the school district that I was at for seven years. I was a coach. I had other like stipend 
bonuses. I had summers off. I had spring break, winter break, holidays. So of the school days, only half of them I was actually working with kids. So I actually had like a lot of more freedom as far as my time in a lot of ways than I do now. But the, the truth was that that combined with my wife's income together, we were pretty comfortable. So I had, and, and medical insurance, all that. I was like, okay, well, I'm cutting this off and I need to move forward to the next version of myself and I need to just figure this shit out. And so we made the decision, one like number one for Charles and for the future of, of like my own personal growth, knowing that burning the boat, like Tony Robbins talked about, if you haven't heard this story, you're lost on a desert island. What's the best way, you know, there's this little dinghy boat there. What's the best way for you to learn how to adapt and live in the jungle is burn the boat. So <laughs> when I burned the boat of being a teacher, it was like, okay, now it's all in. This is what I've got to do. Now I've got to figure out, all right, health insurance, let's figure out a plan. Like every, every problem, we got to figure out a plan and I'm still not out of the woods, but I got to have faith in my own abilities, community, and the direction that's in my heart to be able to continue to, to take action and get myself and my family where I want to be. And, and ultimately it, it comes up, some of it comes down to like confidence and my ability to, to do something that I've never done before. Yeah. So. I mean, that's a scary thing to just leave your job and something that's very familiar with you. I want to back up a minute and you mentioned the quitters workshop. Now it's very interesting. Yeah. You mentioned that. Nice. So how did you find the quitters workshop? And like, did, was that something that, you know, okay, I'm going to quit my teaching job. I'm not sure how here's the quitters manifesto. Like what was the progression? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. No, yeah, it definitely wasn't. I applied. So I put in an application for that spot. Jamie Gruber, very generous. The leader of a group called Emerge purchased one spot for somebody at Emerge to be able to attend. And I applied and I put in my video and I said, this is where I am. This is what I want to do when I quit my job. This is why it's important for me. This is why it's important for the world and like dad leadership and the shifts that we're having in our country right now and the gaps that I saw in education. I just see the connection with the dads being so important and their ability to lead their families effectively and connect with their kids in a way where they're not ruling, but they're leading, leading by example, leading how to listen, leading how to grow. It's so important to, to see the growth of the young kids, more important than what I was doing with, with exercise. And exercise is super important, but I, I knew that the role that I had was tremendously important and is tremendously important. And so I put in that application like, hey, this is why I want to do it. I didn't know like I'm going to quit at the end of the year, but I knew like that's what I'd like to be able to do. And going through the workshop and the exercises, it was not a like, okay, let me look at my spreadsheet and okay, expenses here, expenses there. Like, no, actually it was, it was very different. It was very much more of like, okay, this is what I'm getting called to do. This is my mission. Need it. Take action, say yes to this so that I can say no to the past version of myself, say yes to a new version of myself. And just that it was really a, a catalyst to take action. And the other thing that I got from the, the quitters manifesto workshop, I knew very clearly that the skill that I needed to improve on was communication. And that was what was going to take me to the next space. I was very good at working. I'm good at doing tasks, but my ability to communicate with other people, understand them and like help understand where they're at, where they're wanting to go and helping guide them and asking good questions and building relationships with individuals. I knew that that was the skill set after leaving that conference that I needed to improve. And I, I am a big proponent of developing your skill sets. Like if I have a certain skill set, I know that I'm going to be able to generate money. Like the reason that 
someone who's 40 and has been working construction for 20 years is able to create more income for themselves than somebody that just started is because of the skill set and the knowledge that they have. Like makes sense. They see this, they're like, oh yeah, this is the nail that I need. This is the board that I need. Boom, it's up. Somebody that's brand new is like, I don't know what to do. Just like if somebody can show me directly, like do this task, then I can do that. But if you've been through it so many times, your skill set is that you're significantly more valuable than somebody that, that hasn't that's still developing the skills. So I think the faster that we can develop skills that are valuable and in alignment with what our goals are, the better we're going to be. Out of moving from your W2 to this next phase, what were some yeah. of the biggest mental shifts or hurdles that you had to overcome? You talked about skills sure. for communication. What are some other things that were challenges for you? I think the biggest challenge for me was saying goodbye to something that I really liked because it, it wasn't like I was leaving a job that was just like awful. It was fun and easy. I enjoyed it. I had lots of time off. I like to do fun things in the afternoons with my family and all that. Right. So that was the hardest thing was saying goodbye to something that had really helped me grow as a person and helped me grow and connect with and have fun in the community. Cause you like, Connecting with kids, there's just a certain energy that they have that's very mm -hmm. true. I would I would describe it as a very true energy that that they're authentic and they'll tell you if they're happy and they'll tell you if they're mad. <clears throat> they'll tell you if they don't want to do something. And in the adult world, people are kind of oh, I guess I kind of you know. What grade level did you teach? Middle school. Middle school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. they're still interactive at that age. I taught middle school yeah. and high school. Yeah, yeah. High school is a whole different animal. Yeah. High schools. I mean, yeah. I, and I coached high school football and wrestling and that was a blast too. Yeah. 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 Um, it's just, it just depends. Well, yeah, it's like, it's so necessary for me to grow to get to not just like where selfishly, like where I want to be, but, but more importantly for for my purpose here on earth, you know, I, when I was maybe around 20 years old, I made the decision that my purpose on earth is to help young men and women become men and women. And so it took me time to see as that evolved, into helping them make helping dads coaching dads to help their kids make that shift into becoming a man and a woman so but back to your question of like what was challenging for me it was hard to there was like some fear stepping away from the get the paycheck the consistency the insurance being covered all those things but it was also, there were so many other things. It was enough pulling me towards taking the action of, of being closer to my son and moving away from a town. It just seemed like the risk of staying was significantly more than the, the, the risk of taking the action to move. Yeah, I, I can see that be, because the drive to be near your son is just, that, that just overshadows everything. And like you brought up before, you know, whatever came your way, you're going to figure it out. Right. So right. wherever, whether it's the health insurance piece, moving piece, income piece, you'll figure it out to make it happen. You talked a little bit about fear taking mm. this jump. How did you counteract that fear or deal with it? What were some methods? Or I, I, I think that fear is a very important thing to have a relationship with. And I don't know that a lot of us in today's world, interact with fear enough. And I would definitely say being, you know, competing in jujitsu and, and knowing like if I go and compete in a, in a match or go into practice that, that there is, it is a, in a lot of ways, a dangerous situation that I'm going into. So being used to those dangerous situations and understanding this is like, this is a whole course that I'm going to kind of summarize that, I, that I'm sure I'll, I'll release at some point, but how we interact with fear is going to dictate our ultimately our future because fear is the unknown. And is it when we're afraid, we need to really identify what is it exactly that we're afraid of? Are we afraid of being homeless and not having anything? And like, I know, like I knew like, I, I'm not going to go homeless. I can do things to generate my, I have my wife. Like I'm not going to be homeless. Like these things, these are real possibilities that can happen. And 
ultimately it's not so much about the fear, but it's, it's how we're able to accept that the fear is there and we just allow it to become part of who we are and part of the experience. And the more we like, it's not there. It's I'm not, I, I'm a, like, it's not there. It's like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And you're trying to ignore that the fear is like, like when we do run into it, it's like, okay. And this, this I've kind of learned through some meditation and other work. All right. Yeah. I have some fear going on in me. Cool. I wonder what's going to happen next. Seems like I may be on the right path if I'm feeling a little bit afraid and there's a little bit of tension and there's a little bit of excitement. There's a way to connect with it in a way that can make it more powerful. But I don't think the answer is to pretend that fear is not there and to ignore it or try to push it away because it's always going to be there. Actually, it's, it's cool. I had this, I don't typically remember dreams, but right when I was going through some fear with this, with finances, I had a dream that I was just sitting in this mountain and there was a huge lake, this lynx. It was like a lynx or a mountain lion just sitting in my lap, like a little cat. I mean, it was huge, but he was just laying on top of me like a cat and I was just like scratching place. So I think that was something with that had some connection with this very dangerous animal and just mm. accepting it and being with it and knowing, okay, there's a bee here. Okay. There's a storm, not freaking out that it's there, not thinking about, oh, I'm fucked. I'm fucked. I'm fucked. But like truly accepting it as part of the current situation and then making the best move that's on the board with that fear, either that, that may be in your heart or present with you, but not allowing it to dictate the action that you take. I love the picture. Actually, I, I'm glad you shared that dream because I love the picture there that fear is something that's very real to people. And here you've got this big links sitting in your lap, which represents that fear, but yet you're interacting with it in a way that it's not as scary. I mean, I, I love how you just framed a healthy relationship with fear and to interact with that. I, I haven't ever heard it explained that way before. You know, we hear people talk about fear and, you know, we should avoid it and we should live comfortable lives and don't put yourself in any kind of situation where you're going to be afraid. But you just nailed it where fear is a natural emotion that is given to us for a reason. It's there for a reason. So as we learn to work with it and embrace it, then it helps us to have, like you said, a healthy relationship with it. I've heard it said that we should fear regret, not failure, fear, regret, not failure. And Sometimes I found that the things I'm most afraid of never come true anyway. You know, you, you create these things in your mind where you go to the worst case scenario and they never happen. It's not going to help you. Right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't get you anywhere. And usually when we're worried about something, there's, I would think a lot of times there's an underlying fear there that's also happening that needs to be addressed. So you had a post on Facebook a few weeks ago. And I want, I was wondering if you would unpack it for us. Yeah. So there was a picture of you with your kids and the caption was the following quote, stacking small wins. It's not about the amount of time we spend rather impact and rather the impact and connections that we make. So my question to you is what are some of the ways that you bring impact and connection into your family? Yeah. So I always look for, this is a great question. I, this is an exercise that I, I go through with clients and, and the folks in our community. We look at what are the activities there are, let me back up. There are multiple, I have what's called the, the dads who lead pyramid without getting all into it. The third layer is connection. So there are other things that we need as, as requisites before we have connection, but the third layer is connection. And so in that pyramid, we want to find the activities that create a lasting memory or a big connection with people. And, and, and each person in my family has different activities that we connect the strongest over. So like with my daughter, who's three rock climbing, like 
Like she loves to go rock climbing. And I think that's the picture that, that you're referring mm-hmm. to. Like there's a little bit of risk. There's like exploration. My son and I love doing martial arts together. My wife and I like camping or, or climbing mountains. So everybody has an activity within our family, whether we realize it or not, or a set of activities where when we do this, we create a huge amount of connection in a small amount of time. So finding exactly what those are for us can be a valuable tool so that we can be intentional about setting out and taking those actions. I've had times where like, cool, we're all home together. We're kind of sitting around doing dishes. Maybe somebody's like, oh, what are we going to do? Like, do we need to do baths? Do we, like, there's, there's not a direction. There's not a plan. And it's just like another night as opposed to a night to remember. So finding those activities where, and it's typically where we're growing in some way, either doing something novel that we never do. Like this is like brand new going ax throwing. I've never gone ax throwing, but just in theory, if, if I was to take my family, that would be brand new. That would be novel and, and a, like a new different experience. Or if there's, you know, some type of risk, some, something fun involved with it, that's going to be remembered rather than just dropping into that treadmill of, of the same. We had yeah. family game nights though that we nice. did do, and they were pretty regular and that was always a lot of fun. We'd break out bowls of candy and all kinds of junk food and sit around and play games for a couple of hours. And cool. My kids now are all in their twenties and for Christmas, I asked them to write me a letter about their most memorable childhood memories mm. and all three of them separate of each other all mentioned family game nights so That's super cool it yeah it, you don't realize what kind of memories that you impress upon kids you know and what sticks and what doesn't so that was a really nice christmas present talk about some small steps that you took that you didn't think were going to have big results but they actually did small steps that i took that ended up having big results so I would say within my own life, within the last six, seven months, the biggest one of those is the skill of understanding. And I, years and years ago, read Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he has a chapter, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I get that. I get that. Yeah, understand first. But like the depth that we can go with it is really powerful. Like if somebody is saying, oh, you know, what happened? Oh, well, this, this, this happened. Okay. Tell me more about that. Or why do you think it happened that way? Or whatever, like all these things I get, there's, there's so many deeper ways to get deeper into what's happening. And so with my relationship with my family, with all the, all the people in my family, the deeper that I can understand and ask my family in levels that they may not even be thinking about yet with with my son, I remember asking him when we were on a trip, you know, at first I was like, Hey, you know, what is it you're thinking? He's, he's 15 freshman in high school. What is it you're thinking about doing after? Oh, I don't know. I was like, okay, I didn't really get anywhere there. And then, then maybe the next day on the trip, I was like, well, do you know what you don't want to do? Oh yeah. Well, like, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do this and I don't want to, I don't want to be in debt. I don't want to go to college and I don't want to have a W2 job that I'm a slave or whatever, you know, like, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) So he's like, he's got this like idea of what he doesn't want to do. But then the, the interesting thing is over the months after asking that question, he starts to come to me more and more like, well, I think I want to do this. I think this is the skill set that I want. So digging into our kids' hearts, especially into if you're a dad or even a wife, the heart of your spouse or your, your, your partner, that allows you to have a better understanding of where they are. And the more we understand where somebody is, the better we can lead them. And especially in somewhere like a family, because the decisions that we make within the family and how we can guide each other is really, really heavy. I mean, they're, they're, they're life-changing decisions that they're, that, were made like habits that were forming. So, you know, if, even if it's like when I was a coach intern with the U of O Ducks football team, I noticed that the coaches spent a lot of time getting to know the players and where they were at. 
and that feeling of being understood and understanding yourself at a deeper level as a player or as a, a kid allows you to raise your ceiling because the better you understand yourself and the better you understand where you're wanting to go, the easier it is going to be to get there. And most people don't know as much about themselves as can be learned. And most people, I mean, kids, adults, much less kids don't really know where they're going or maybe they knew in some areas, but like, what, what is it truly that they're trying to move towards? Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. Communication and understanding is definitely something that is becoming a lost art. Uh, asking good questions, drawing people out is definitely not something that it's, it's not a course in school. That's for sure. Mm. And you find that in this day and age where everybody's texting each other and they're just quickly going through and can't complete a sentence. Surface it, level. Yeah, it's just all surface level stuff. So it begs the question, since it's something that, you know, you had to work on to learn how to understand others, is there something that you did to help you in your communication skills and drawing people out? to, you know, to get to that deeper level than just staying on the surface? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is it takes either that I'm working with a client or, or somebody in my family, it takes patience and it takes trust and knowing how long, if it's the first or second time we're talking, I'm probably not going to bring up something about how does it affect you that your mom was, wasn't really at around too much in your life. But after weeks of working with somebody, that could be something that that maybe it was appropriate, uncovering something that's deeper that, that needs to be discussed. So the biggest thing though, is I got to coach myself. That's number one. Mike Gorey guided me through three months of really digging into myself, mm. digging into my own, understanding myself better and understanding how to ask like when i got asked those heavy questions it's funny when i work with him and he asks me really heavy questions that force me to dig deeper into myself that helps me more with coaching other people than him being like oh well, what, what you can do to coach people is a b and c to help them but like when i'm digging into my own journey that that seemed in understanding myself because I, I know how deep we could go as individuals of understanding ourselves and our own power. So helping other people see that same space. Do you enjoy helping others? Like do you, when you find that you're in those conversations, is that natural for you? Dig deep. Yeah, it is. It, it's something that it's a lot of fun. It's a lot like twist between being a detective and a wordsmith where you're trying to ask the right questions in the right ways that allow the people to drop, drop defenses not just for the communication between us, but the communication within themselves. Mm -hmm. And we have certain, certain ego that's protecting us in a, in a certain way. Like there's that ego word. Isn't that, that just gets in the way of so much for us, doesn't it? That if we can lay that down, how much more progress we would make within, within ourselves. I love the detective and wordsmith picture right. that you painted because that's just, it, it really, that's what it is. Somebody who asks yeah. really good questions, you're just probing down deeper and deeper. What's your approach to facing challenges that you take? And if, if you yeah. want to, you know, what are some challenges that you're facing today and how you're going to work through those? Sure. All right, cool. So my approach to tackling a challenge, I probably I'm very, very analytical. So probably sometimes I spend too much time thinking about the problem as opposed to, to, to taking action, but I know I need to know what it is that I'm doing or where it is that I'm at right now, my own current abilities and like blocks and limitations. And I need to know where I'm trying to go. And then what is the block that's helping me get from there? So for example, right now, one of the biggest challenges in being an entrepreneur is I'm crafting my own schedule. It's like, as a W2, you're like, boom, here it mm -hmm. is. This is your time to work. This is what needs to get done. This is the stuff that's like, yeah, it'd be nice to get done now if you can. And there's the bell. And with entrepreneurial, it's like, 
okay, how much do I need to, like, I could stop exercising completely and just work all day, but then like, I'm not as productive. And like, I can, like right now I'm going to jujitsu, jujitsu is 30 minutes away. It's solid three hours in the middle of the day that when I go to jujitsu, it takes away from potentially momentum. And then what are the tasks that I need to do? And then the intensity and focus that I execute those tasks at. Those are some of the challenges that I have and distractions. I am continually fighting my own battle against distractions. Like my phone, like I try to put it up here, like away from where I can get it. I just want to keep like opening it and checking things. So my approach to facing challenge is we're not going to get better at it if we're not putting ourselves in the field of play. So every day we should be doing something that's kind of stretching who we are and how we are and how we can do it. And also accepting that sometimes the things that we need to do are actually pretty easy and that's okay too. I heard you mention that you're very analytical and I tend to be as well. So do you find that analysis paralysis will creep in from time to time? Because I can see very analytical people just analyze and analyze and analyze and then like never pull the trigger sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it can. And I'm blessed to have a lot of community and resources to get clarity on the action that I need to take. The action to take is this and knowing I'm going to feel sluggish at times. I'm going to feel happy. I'm going to feel guilty. I'm going to feel afraid. I'm going to feel sad. I'm going to feel angry. I'm going to feel all these emotions. And as an entrepreneur, as an employee, it's easy to be like, well, shit, this guy, I got to get my job. I got this. As an entrepreneur, it's more challenging, at least for me to continue to take those actions because there's nobody else saying you need to get this done other than me. So knowing this is the action to take, who I'm serving, why I'm doing it and getting to it, it is super critical. But just, yeah, getting clarity on what is the one action I need to take. And then the other thing that's helped me is planning out and knowing, okay, this week, these are the things I want to get done. I've got an accountability partner that I've had for quite some time. And we say each week, like, these are our goals. So giving myself time to plan and look at everything and then jump in and go. That's been helpful as well. Yeah. Did you find meditation was almost a game changer for you? Yeah, it, it is. I actually, I was at a conference and I met Kirk Westwood and he was on my podcast. I believe it's podcast episode 26 and he coined the luck bubble and he drops in into, he has, it's a, it's a paid meditation. It's, a, it's like 47 bucks, but it's, it's really, really powerful. It's well worth it of the process of feeling where we are in a present moment and accepting that process of like really digging in and feeling the emotions, kind of some of the things I've been talking about. And uh, Brandon Epstein is another guy that's really good with like understanding what's happening with your body and, and your emotions and your feeling, and then still getting clarity on the action to take. And we're just, we're having experiences, fear, whatever it is. And it doesn't matter because we're taking the action anyway, because we're so, so much, the, the meditation of anything, it helps me accept that it's there and it gives me time to be with it. Emotions are very powerful. So when we don't give ourselves time to just be with that emotion, it can kind of be like, you could still get things done, but that's still there and it's not helping you move forward. Oh, that's so. very perceptive. I wonder how many of us out there are walking around with our emotions that we haven't really interacted with. You know, I'm now I'm even more curious. How would that play out? Like, suppose if somebody is like not not dealing with feelings of anger. Let's let's mm. put it, put anger in there. And they're not interacting with it, you know, maybe and, and it might not even be real big anger. It could be just they were at work and somebody said something that really pissed them off. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be road rage anger. It just has to be like a trigger anger and they're not interacting with that. How would yeah. that how would that affect that person? Great question. I just thinking about myself and I have, I am, I'm a very physical person. I either lift or get outside or train jujitsu. I do Muay Thai, whatever, like whatever it is, I'm, I'm very active. And so 
I believe as humans, first off, we're very active and we're meant to be emotional creatures. And often we're sedated to be like, well, oh, don't get too excited. Don't get too happy because why are you so happy? Like, look at everybody else. We're just kind of just chilling right now. Like, just relax. And then if we're sad and emotional, like, hey, chill out. Like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Like, relax. You know, everybody's wanting to get... Like if you're happy, like bring it back down to here. There's always just trying to like keep us in a baseline as far as how we interact in society. And so how it affects us is a great question. And so having those opportunities where we can, for me as a man, and I can't speak to the feminine experience, but expressing ourselves in a a healthy masculine way within a container that is appropriate is, is really important. Cause it's like letting that pressure out and it's directing our focus to something else. So when we come back and we need to interact as a normal human, we've had a chance to be a little bit of an animal for a little while. Yeah. Wow. Like I never even thought about how much in our society we just negate our feelings. And you, you mentioned that, you know, oh, if you're really happy, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't be that happy, you know, just calm down a little bit, don't get excited. We're really, you know, God made all of us to be unique, right? And we right. have all these basket of emotions. And I also hear what you're saying too. I mean, there's a time and place to be appropriate for them as well. But I think as parents, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, if our kids are excited about something, we should allow them to experience that emotion, not bring the adult into it and say, you know, oh, what are you so happy about? Well, they're just being kids, you know, they're yes. not, they don't understand the regulation yet. They're just literally wearing their, their emotions on their sleeve. Right. And I think if we take a look at kids and we study them, there's a component that we should bring into our adulthood too, that, you know, they're interacting with their feelings right then and there. And we should too. I mean, you know, maybe not necessarily out in public, but definitely not suppress it. Like you were talking about, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. Yeah. It, it's important if I were to, to give like one nugget towards dads who are listening to this program or even moms as well. I had a conversation with a dad who it, it looked like their pet was going to be passing soon. And I just told him like, make sure that you're, I wouldn't, well, I, I don't tell like direct, direct, like do this, right? That's not my style, but be mindful that your daughter, or your son has the space to feel whatever that they're going to feel and that that's okay that they're feeling that way. If they're sad, like it, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to, to have the emotions that you're experiencing. Well, you brought up a point too about your advice to have, you know, for the dad to let the child just experience the grief of losing the pet. And it brought to mind how often we as parents try to placate the grief and shorten the grieving process. So for example, in that scenario, the pet passes and the child's sad. And we, like a, a common response to placate would be, oh, don't worry, it's okay. You know, you can be sad a little bit. We'll, we'll go get another dog or cat, or, you know, we'll go do something else, or we'll go replace that so that you don't have to feel that pain. And right. to your point, I think it's important that we walk through the emotion in a in an appropriate way you know if there's but you know honestly i've lost pets and sometimes two years later i see a pet you know and, I, and i'm still grieving because i lost that pet but to know and to teach our kids that that's okay you know to yeah. interact with that emotion and then release it let it go and it's okay yeah yeah and as they get, and it's definitely a skill of like understanding what's happening in their body and mm -hmm. then, okay, reflecting on the time that we had in that case, or if you're scared, okay, like what's causing you to be afraid? And, and it's actually extremely powerful because when we fully let that emotion into our heart, it lets it, especially if it's one of the more negative emotions, often it will allow it to relax and 
move forward faster. Suppressing um, it, in other words, if we try and suppress that emotion so that we don't deal with it, actually we wind up dealing with it longer than if we had just faced it in the first place. Right. So right. I think you bring up a really good point. So just literally face those, face those emotions and interact with them. I love this. This is just so practical. I'm really yeah. enjoying this. So thank you for bringing Absolutely. that up. If you could go back in time and deliver a message to your younger self, what would it be? Ooh, great question. I would say the one that like, first off, it's hard because there's so many things that have happened where if I was in that same situation today, I wouldn't make it. But in the moment, that's the action that needed to be taken or that was like the best of my ability. But my biggest advice would be to slow down when trying to grow and focus on the smaller details for the long term. Too often I get caught up in trying to get results now and <laughs> In the moment, it feels so real that like, I need results now. I need to get a sale now. I need to win this next match now, as opposed to, okay, what can I do to put myself in the best position to be successful a year or three years from now? Mm. And that action is a lot different than what's the best thing for me this month or this today. And so slowing down and paying attention to more of the details. I mean, the two things that come to mind is like jujitsu and business. Those like, there's so many small details with that, but slowing that down and focusing on the long game rather than the quick, what's quick or effective right now in the moment. So I have to ask, have you read 12 rules for life by Jordan Peterson? I believe I've started to read that book, but I've okay. never finished the whole thing. But I'm familiar. <laughs> so, I'm familiar so with his work. Find so. one of them. I forget which rule it is. I think it's number five, and you just captured what it was. And basically, okay. it's don't look for the immediate. You know, don't look for the immediate gratification. Instead, take the long game into consideration and figure out where you're going. So you captured that. Is there something else maybe you wanted to talk about that maybe I didn't ask or you wanted to share? Great question. I would just say if there's a dad listening to this and he's looking often as dads and our journey as fathers where it's, it feels like we're expected to just do and be successful. I hear guys say like, well, I don't know why my kids turned out so great, but things just seem to be doing spectacular. Or I don't know why, but my kids are going off the rails. And so regardless of what phase you are in as fatherhood, we spend time, intentional time learning how to drive a car. We spend intentional time learning how to, you know, do our jobs, have all these tasks. And it, if you're looking for intentional time and space to improve the craft of fatherhood and how you're able to understand and guide your kids. That's really what my mission is. So I just encourage that I'm happy to, to have a conversation. And by the time this podcast will be released, we'll have some new programs available to, to support dads. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about dads who lead. Yeah. So dads who lead was initially a father-son retreat program and has evolved into a coaching program. So right now I'm coaching dads one-on-one. -on -one. When this podcast is released, we'll be wrapping up our first group program and it'll be launching into a, a group mastermind. Very intentional time to work on the craft of fatherhood. And I know there are other organizations that say, hey, you know, one of our pillars is parenting or one of our pillars is relationships and that's good and that's that's a pillar but like that is what we focus on within my group so it's it's very intentionally sharpening that area of our life and who we are as well so dad to lead is a movement that i want to be that, that if i were to summarize it there is a balance that i want to help men find and that is the dad who wants to hold frame or be the leader of his home, be the one that his wife looks up to, be the one that his kids look up to, be, be a man that's able to say no when it's time to say no, whether that's to his wife or to his kids, but also have in his heart their best interest, their growth, their individual journey, not from a space of I'm the man and this is the way it's going to be 
but from the space of, I love you and this is the best direction that I feel is needs to happen for myself or that a boundary that we're going to need to set or an action that we need to take. So that's in summary, and I'm sure I'm going to tighten that up, but that's in summary what Dads Who Lead is about. Oh, that's great. I mean, I think you're right, especially dads, where we are today in our country and in society, we really need masculine leadership. And it yes. is definitely lacking and it's certainly not taught in schools. So, I mean, I applaud you for taking the helm. Thank you. I really, I I really do. I really do. From your story, what's something that our listeners can do today that would help them change their tomorrow? What advice do you want to leave us with? I was coming to come back to that the process of improving how well you're able to understand the people within your family. And when we understand, regardless of what level you're at in the dad's who lead pyramid, your son or your daughter or your wife, the deeper we understand what's happening within our, the heart of our loved one, the better we can guide them to a good space. And by I say guy, I don't mean like you're here. I'm going to pick you up and I carry, you, I'm going to put you here and you're going to be fine, but guide them like Obi, I'm going to get kind of woo woo, but like Obi-Wan Kenobi style, like I'm not here doing like You're going to have to fight the battles, but I'll kind of help you along your journey. And that's what we can do as dads, but it takes, it takes that really understanding where they are to be able to guide them out of a space, especially if they're in a darker space. I love that you have a heart for dads and out of the suggestion that you just gave, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking this is something I can do as a mom and I can do it in my relationship with my husband and I can do it when I interact with my kids as well. Just asking them those questions that probe a little deeper. I don't want to inter interrogate them, right. <laughs> you know, right. but you do want to be genuinely interested. And when you're genuinely interested and you're asking a question from the heart, that's going to come through and that's going to build that communication, build that connection between you and the person that you're talking to. So, like I said, I love that you have a heart for dads and you know we can we can do this in our own families as well as we Thank come you. you're welcome as we come to a close last but not least what's a book recommendation you would make that you think everybody should read oh great question the foundation of my program is ownership and the belief that the outcomes that we get are our responsibilities and our responsibilities as dads, the outcomes we get for ourselves, the outcomes that we have within our family, and always looking at it from a space of ownership. So with that, there are a lot of important books, but the first one would be Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Mm. That is a great one to start with as the, the foundation of taking control and the power that comes with, there's so much in our society that we hear, we hear noise and we hear people like, Frankly, I know you haven't been swearing on this podcast, but I, I, I have people, people who do. <laughs> I we try have not to. You have to really get me roused up and then I'll say something and I'll drop something. But no, sometimes <laughs> it depends. <laughs> people, I had a, a mentor that said, people love to bitch. They love to be like, man, you know what happened is this guy at the grocery store. They like to hear oh themselves my gosh, talk. I couldn't I mean, believe what this girl did and or what she was wearing or the reason that I wasn't able to be successful. And like, it sounds great. It feels great in the moment. But what feels heavy is be like, you know what? What could have I done differently in that situation to make mm -hmm. it better? How could I have, I have, even if it was asking the same question, but with like a what instead of a why? Like mm -hmm. something small, minute, mm -hmm. small adjustments and taking ownership over the results that we're getting. As long as we're in that headspace of denying and becoming a victim and not taking ownership over the results that we have, our kids are going to do the same. So leading in that space of ownership, that's the first thing. That would be the first book that I would recommend. Nice. Yeah. I like the taking ownership of our actions and not giving in to just giving into what's going on around us. Right. I was just right. thinking about that. You know how sometimes you're around people who are complaining and then don't you find yourself wanting to complain as well? I think it takes a lot more, number one, courage and number two, strength that when you're around somebody complaining to redirect them right. and, you know, instead of letting them, as you say, bitch, you know, let them <laughs> say, hey, you know, wait a minute, stop here a minute. Why does that make you so angry? 
you're right. You right. change the question, not what did they do? Okay, yeah, we got 10 minutes of what they just did. But why does that make you angry? Why should you let that affect you? Why should you let somebody else dictate and alter your day? And really, right. at the end of the day, we have our own power to dictate our days and decide how we want to feel or not feel. And that power is within each and every one of us. And we do not have to allow others to do that for us. And that's right. a choice. It really is a choice. You bring up a good point there. Absolutely. Yeah. Thomas, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your time today. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It was How fun. Yeah, it was. How could our listeners reach out to you? The okay. best thing to do is to head to dadsuli.com. I have a quiz there that will tell you what your leadership style is as a dad. And oh, you'll cool. also get a free PDF of, of tips to help you within common strengths and weaknesses um, and things that you can do to improve your the skill of fatherhood within your leadership archetype or style. So that is a great way you'll get on our, our email list. You'll get info on our, our podcasts videos. So if you get on that email list, that's that's the best way. So dadsulead.com, take the free quiz and then you'll get some freebies and and into our network and opportunities will be flowing to you. Oh, great. Thank you yeah. for that. All right. Well, it was my pleasure to interview you today. I hope our listeners got as much out of it as I did. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Sue. I want to thank you for watching or listening to my podcast. I value your time with me because I realize you could be listening to someone else right now. And I also want you to know that I now offer coaching and consulting. So if you're thinking about creating a course, but not sure how to structure it, or you have a small step you need to take to lead to a big result, but you're not sure what the in-between looks like, check out my website at www.suesaller.com for more information and to request a free consultation. Remember, life doesn't get better by chance. It gets better by choice. Take small steps and make today awesome, friends. God bless.